Wishing everyone a great Memorial Day weekend. I'm Pastor Chuck Blair with an announcement and an invitation for next weekend. As you know, at New Church Live, over the years, we've done special one-offs. And one-offs are just these, literally these one-off services where we're trying to pull a whole lot together. And what are we trying to pull together next week on June 6th? What we're trying to pull together is a way to really pull together this whole season of COVID. It's been 18 months, and it's been a hard 18 months. And we want to do a number of things. We want to acknowledge the hardness of it. We also want to celebrate those parts where maybe we've learned or grown in unforeseen ways. And then we want to think with a great deal of gratitude about the fact that we've made it through with a level of resilience. It's been a season with a lot of losses, and it's been a season of a lot of learning, and that's what we want to do. We want to somehow celebrate those two things on Sunday, June 6th. So we want to invite you. We want to invite our audiences. We want to invite the online audiences spread across the country, even some folks in Europe and Asia and Africa will be joining us. We want to warmly invite you, and we want to warmly invite those of you who are, who are ready to come back to an in-person congregation. We're open for that as well, open for business both online and in person. So we hope to see you then Sunday, June 6th at 10.30 a.m. And uh, yeah, really looking forward to it, looking forward to a way to like close this season, but both honoring it for the parts that have been hard, because there's been many, and many of you watching this right now have, have gone through loss, some of which is almost unimaginable, as well as look for those areas where we've learned and we've grown. We want to do that as well. So we hope you can join us on June 6th. Take care. Bye. What a great tie-in. It's almost like it was planned. The song and the announcement. So you had just there, Marcus is singing about the journey of life and the progression that we go through. And then you have Chuck talking about the last 18 months of life and the difficulty getting through, it's all about, hey, we're on this journey and why are we on this journey? Today we're talking uh, about the wise child. We're looking for the good life in this series and the wise child is this crucial concept that is a key component of how we can get to the good life. And we're gonna here try to understand it and look for how we can answer that call from God to become a wise, not a wise guy, but a wise child. But before we get there, unless we understand what our intent is, we're not going to be able to accomplish anything. Because what we're trying to do is have our lives changed by messages, right? But life, as we just were seeing, is this big, long, complicated thing. And here we are for this measly little piece of time where we're trying to open up how can this ever impact something as uh, magnificent and long as life. So the way that we do that is we look at today as a seed. Last night it was Saturday night, so I was doing what everybody does on Saturday night. I was checking out the parable of the sower. And that, I just never realized how direct Jesus Christ is there about what that parable means. Because he's, I think you're probably all familiar, there's a very famous parable where there's a sower who's somebody who has a bunch of seeds and they throw seeds everywhere and some of it lands where 
there's birds, the birds eat it. Some of it lands where there's thorns, the thorns choke it. Some of it lands where there's just a little bit of topsoil and sprouts up, but when it gets hot, it dies. I've seen this happen in my yard, it really does. And then there's good ground where it grows up. And he tells that story and the disciples are, are saying, yeah, okay. But once the crowd leaves, they say to him, wait, what, what were we talking about? The seeds, it was a grow. I was a fisherman, you want me to change into agriculturalist? And he says, oh, you don't get it? How are you gonna get any of the parables? Let me tell you what it means. The sower sows the word. The sower sows the word. And all those different conditions, the crows and the thorns and the shallow soil and the good soil are about what happens in us when the word gets in there. That there's all these conditions that can exist which prohibit the growth of this little seed. But when the conditions are right, a little tiny seed, to another famous parable is this, the mustard seed. This little tiny seed can grow into the kingdom of heaven inside of us. So today, as we together, and what an exciting opportunity we get where we just get to sit and examine this little piece of God's truth. The, the goal here is to have this be a seed that gets a shot at growing into something that, you know, later is so big that you worry every time there's a storm, it's going to fall on your house. So the wise child is a look at this innocence. And where I want to begin is another, ah, is it a parable? Another scenario that Jesus presents, and it has to do with childhood. It's pretty famous. And it's this sharp contrast between what you would expect and what is. So I've got it up. I can put it on the screen for you. This is Matthew 18. We're going to read the first, I think we'll do the first five. So this is about the disciples asking, what is the good life, basically? Because they're saying, I don't want to, I guess I don't want to give you a preview of the whole story that's longer than the story, but I will say that they're saying, essentially, how do we get the good life? And Jesus gives a very surprising answer. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called, which disciple is he going to pick? Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. I mean, the disciples weren't thinking, will we get into heaven or not? They're thinking, who's going to be the boss of heaven? Because we're obviously, we're we're your disciples. We're going to be up there. We're just trying to figure out who has the biggest house in heaven. You're telling me I I can't even get in unless I'm like this little kid that, that hasn't been following you at all? Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. So that's classic Jesus just suddenly opens up this constellation of questions for me when he says that. First of all, I mean, let's look at the the flipped expectations because 
These are the disciples. If you were to think of, okay, I'm gonna, I really wanna become a spiritual person. I want to follow the path of God and, and, and have God lead me to the good life. How are you gonna do better than the disciples? They are in this monastic lifestyle where they are completely given up everything of their previous lives to go and follow a teacher who, by the way, is God and have 24-7 access and hear everything he does in our help. That's a pretty, you would think, if you're looking at a resume of religious accomplishments, that's got to be pretty hard to beat. So what chance do we have as we are putting in the work, everybody here who is watching religious content because they're trying to figure out how do we get these seeds to grow? So if the disciples are here and then all of us are working hard and we're somewhere here, how is it that this little child who probably has limited knowledge of how to cite the prophets in an argument, how is, how is this little child up at the top? Very mysterious. And it brings up this other question for me, which is, is the good life forward or is it backward? Is the grand story of human life, are we trying to reclaim paradise lost or are we journeying to the promised land? Because it seems like you have the disciples who are trying to lead this new life and then Jesus says to them, no, it's, you have to be like a little child. Well, they, we, we already were. We already did that. So is it that you, you had it and you lost it and you gotta go back? That's a compelling story. Or is it that there's, we're, we're aspiring to something we haven't been to yet? Well, which one, so you can't quite tell because everything that Jesus says has these layers of meaning in it. You can't quite tell from that. So we can look at life. Which, which one does life point us towards? Is life about getting back what was lost or getting back to somewhere that was good? Or is it about going and finding something new? I think it's both. And I want to give you a little story uh, from my own life to illustrate this that I'm calling the same shape. I have a sister who's significantly younger than I am. So I was, I think like a, yeah, like a young adult when she was still a little kid. I don't know what age she was. I think three or four at this time. She's pretty young. She's like not a baby, but like pretty young. And it was getting to be fall in Michigan where we were. And as happens, the leaves were starting to change, which is beautiful, and they were, but they were starting to fall off the trees. And my little sister was going through some grief about this. And she was, she was sad that the leaves were gonna be gone. This, you think about to a three or four year old, a summer might as well be eternity. Do you think you would really have a memory? What was it even like before these leaves? These leaves that are in the front yard that I've been playing around the whole time, these have been my companions and then they're gonna be gone. This world I knew is gonna be gone. And so she was so sad and I, got, I was consoling her because I could say, they're gonna come back. They're gonna come back. 
And she said, and this pulled at my heartstrings and still does, and she said, the same shape. The same shape. Yeah, the same shape. Isn't that what nature is? Is it's, sure, they're not the exact same leaves, but you couldn't hold up leaves from two different years and tell me which year it was. It's the same. They're coming back the same. This is every spring. You know the birds are going to be building nests. You know that the cicadas are going to come out, although they're a little late this year. Isn't that what nature is? Well, sort of. Not totally. Because while there is this constant return, where you have the cycles repeating, and yes, they'll come back the same shape, it's also on this forward trajectory. Because if you look over the span of geological time, there were, these were maple trees we were talking about. There weren't maple trees 200 million years ago. Right? Isn't that before flowering plants? It's moving. It's both. It's going somewhere new, but it's doing so by coming back and coming back. So which one is it? That's question number two that Jesus is story about the little child has set off here. And I think number three is a concern. Because if he's really saying that despite the disciples' fervent desire to follow him and lead the good life, their, their willingness to give up everything that they had, and their willingness to spend every moment with him and puzzle over and, and have to ask him, okay, I, I didn't get what it meant again. Can you tell me again? Despite all that, he's saying, you have to be like a little child. It sort of feels like an assembly line. These are junction boxes. And if God is really saying, as we progress through this big journey of life, like we were seeing in the song in the beginning and Chuck's announcement and everything, we're making this big journey and we get to here where we've put in a lot of time and work. We're far down the assembly line, like everything's almost together and God is saying, no, 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 all I wanted was back at step two, back before you had those wires and those knobs on. It just seems like, why, why do we have to go all the way through this thing then? Can't we, wouldn't that be an inefficiency? Don't we need to correct this factory process so that you just stop at step two? We already were children. If, if that's how you're gonna, we're gonna be in the kingdom of heaven, if that's how you're gonna bring us into the state of mind and heart that is heaven, that is the good life, couldn't you just stunted our growth a little bit? We were already there. So it's a little bit like, is anyone paying attention to us? And is all of this hardship, it's good, but it's also hard that we go through actually plotting out 100 years on this planet. Do we, if we don't have to do that, why are we doing it? So, the key to it, to all these things, we've set up all, we've got all these questions that this little example Jesus gave has provoked in us. The key to it is, he didn't say you have to become a little child. He said you have to become like a little child. And today we're going to look at just why, as great as being a little child is, it's not the kingdom of heaven. It's a step, but the, actually the work we're putting in here is the other step. But, so it's both we're going somewhere new, but when we go somewhere new, we need to return to this childlike state in our new state 
in order to get there. <laughs> Clear, right? We're going to read from Heaven and Hell now, where Swedenborg is talking about different kinds of innocence and why it is that we don't just stop the conveyor belt when we're kids, why we need to move past that innocence. Children's innocence, though, is not real innocence because it still lacks wisdom. Real innocence is wisdom because to the extent that we are wise, what does it mean to be wise? I think wise is, there's not a really technical definition. Is it hard to have quality control on that? We are, to the extent that we are wise, we want to be led by the Lord. Or what amounts to the same thing, to the extent that we love being led by the Lord, we are wise. Oh, that's what wisdom is. I thought it was knowing a lot of stuff. I thought it was being smarter than people. Wisdom, the wise choice, the, the smartest thing you can do is to love being led by the Lord. So why can we aspire to that? Why is that so great? Why can we aspire to it in a way that children can't? Now we're going to start to dig into the character of, let's go to the next slide, the innocence of wisdom. This is a concept that Jesus is pointing us toward in this story of the little child. Unless you become as a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. The New Church Theology talks about it a lot as this key to the good life. This is what we have to get to be there. And it is a state in which we have chosen to want to be led by the Lord once we've seen all the possibilities in a way that a child can't. And you can even see this little carving here I love because sometimes old people are cute. It's just true. Like I, you know, and I'm not, it's not meant to be condescending, but there's just something playful about the, some of the, the wonderful uh, age bonus people I've been around where after this whole lifetime of struggles and tribulations and scars, there's this like playfulness that you can get to. And it's such a joy to be around. And it's just one little component of the life God is pulling us toward because it's different than a little kid. Uh, but, but why? We're gonna unpack that. So to get there, we have to examine what, what is the good that's in childhood? So if we look at the good life, obviously we're in this series trying to figure out what's the good life. Jesus is constantly trying to teach all that seed that's going in from the word. The whole of the word is trying to lead us to the good life. And even just saying that phrase, yeah, okay, where, where everything is as it should be. I mean, where we're happy and where we... Are, have feelings and impulses that we, we're proud to have, where people treat each other the way they should treat each other, all these things. We got this good life where, where we understand that we're 
free of, I'm thinking of all these like self-help articles and they're trying to get you to let go of your baggage and be more spontaneous. So there's an element of being happy. I mean, if I was to say I was in a good life, I would wake up every day with a sense of possibility. I would be amazed by the world around me. I would be open and love what I was doing. I wouldn't be weighed down by the cares of everything. Have we been there before? I think probably the closest we've gotten to that feeling was when you were a little kid, right? I love that picture. Man, look at that little boy's face. <laughs> there's just this something about, I'm happy to be here. But, but there's this gentleness and this joy. And if you think about, we can look now, and that's this great representation, but think about, what, remember what it felt like to be that age? I just have little sensory memories of like the leaves on the ground in the fall or what it felt like to, like we would lift up something and there was like a salamander underneath it. It was just this amazing experience. And every day was just so fun and you just didn't have concern and care. So there we are. There's an element of that. How can we get back to that but knowing that we are something more now. Because innocence, as Swedenborg defined it there, was a willingness to be led by the Lord. That this is how you get that wisdom, is that you love to be led by God. Which, by the way, being led by God means being led by the love that characterizes God. So we all are what we love. This is what makes you you if you boil it down to its core. It's more than anything, it's what you love, what you intend to do, what you are trying to do. That is the root of who we are because it determines the actions that we go and take. So each of us is like a form of our particular desire or our particular love for things. And God's love, the essence of who God is, is the desire to come in and save or make happy or give the good life to every single person. So as we tap into that, as we love to be led by that, because we've got all these different kinds of desires ahead out in front of us, and as we more say, look, there's a lot of things. I can easily be led by my desire to be better than other people. I can be led by my desire to uh, get the last word in on my enemies. Sure, there's a lot of things with a lot of perks to them. But when we feel like, well, that one, to want to contribute to the happiness of everyone, that's the one that I really want to be led by. Like, oh, I like that one, despite, like, yeah, despite all the other stuff trying to grab out for our time. You know, that, that can have its place, but what I really want is that one. That is this willingness to be led by the Lord. So if you think about kids, they can have this, the elements of a really heavenly good life existence. They can have that joy and that love, but you can't have this um, voluntary connection with God and what's good and true. Because at that age, you don't, you don't have that kind of capacity. You, in, in its place, you have like the adults in your life, you have, you're just led along. And, and yeah, and you're, you're also hilariously selfish when you're a little kid. 
right? You can see it. It's, it's super cute, but it's just like they're totally, don't take your chalk away from you. So how do we get that innocence, but into this wise molding? What does that look like in us when we are able to, through a voluntary connection with what's good and true, combine the joy and happiness of the innocence of childhood with the humanity of the joy of wisdom, with us having been through these tests and trials and tribulations in life and getting to the point where, as Jesus said, we are humbled like a little child. And we are saying, look, I, I want to, with that same kind of childlike wonder and joy, follow this, this love for what's good. That's what we're going to look, like, look at after the break. We're going to get an in-depth example of what the state of life for the, is, the innocence of wisdom is, and hopefully from that get some insight into how we can approach living it. Hello, everybody. I'm Marcus Cohen, and I'm the production director here at New Church Live. When, um, when Curtis was putting this service together and I was going over it, uh, it made me think a lot about my own journey, forward and backward. Uh, I've been training in martial arts since I was very, very small, um, over 30 years now. And uh, it made me think of a Japanese term that I learned, not until I was an adult in training, and uh, that word is irimi. And what that means, the, the literal English translation means to enter, but it's not like entering a room <clears throat> or walking through a door. Uh, the spiritual meaning means your spirit enters somewhere first. Uh, a piece of you is there before your body is there. A good example of this would be maybe a, a trip to college where there's a piece of your mind, of your spirit already ahead of the journey, and then your body just follows the mind there. In martial terms, to irimi means to enter in to the attack. So, as opposed to going forward, it's an entering into the attack, into the fear. And sometimes that's the only way to survive, where that moment becomes life or death. It becomes creativity, growth, or it's destruction and death. And in that moment, everything is in balance. Mind, body, spirit's in balance. It's a, it's a, it's a going in and bringing with you everything that you had behind you. So that, that forward movement isn't always the same direction, but it is always going in. So anyway, that's my little, my little thing that I thought of. I would also like to take this time to ask for volunteers. We have so many cool things going on production-wise uh, that people could get involved with, from photography to video editing and just watching services, a lot of web stuff, uh, copywriting. There's lots of stuff we could do. I really would love to hear from you guys. Please reach out to me. My email address is marcus.cohen at newchurchlive.tv and I really look forward to hearing from you. Thank you guys so much. Have a great day. So I love that idea of our piece of us is already there. Piece of our spirit is already there. So if we're thinking about spiritual growth work and trying to sort out the seeds from the thorns 
in the parable of the sower, I particularly was struck this time in my Saturday night partying of the thorns, that there's, there's a one scenario where the seed hits the ground and all these other plants grow up and choke it out. And that is, Jesus says, like when for us, other things confuse us and drag us away from the important stuff in life. In, in the, the, Jesus' words, he's talking about the allure of riches and power and those sorts of things. But I think I can easily see in my mind where just these lower value things, like I'm you know, following some social media thing or something, is taking me away from, from the seed going. So this idea of a piece of our spirit is already there. So if we're setting this intention to, for instance, try to learn about the innocence of wisdom and trying to let God draw us toward that, a piece of you is already there. So if it seems daunting and it seems like I'm in all the thorns, just by setting that intention, a piece of us is already there. So let's move back to the innocence of wisdom and try to look at what does it feel like? What are the characteristics of being in it? And as we think, it's going to, everything is going to manifest or display differently in every single person's life. So I can give a general sense of what it's like. We're going to hear it from New Church Theology here, but I think the work is in that seed getting planted. And then with the Lord, we figure out what is the innocence of wisdom look like in each one of us. So this is all coming from a part of heaven and hell number 278, where there's this really poetic, one of my favorite numbers in the Swedenborg's writings, this description of the innocence of wisdom and what it feels like to be there. What is this wise childhood feel like? So the first bit of the quote, I broke it up into individual thoughts because each sentence has so much with it. People in a state of innocence, and this is yeah, obviously rational adults in a state of innocence, do not take credit for anything good. Were you thinking that's how we would open? Do not take credit for anything good, but ascribe and attribute everything to the Lord. They want to be led by him and not by themselves. So if I want to be innocent, I'm going to learn this along with everyone today. If I want this innocence of wisdom, if I am, Jesus Christ has said, unless we become as a little child, we can't get into heaven. And I'm not even just talking about an afterlife heaven. I'm talking about right now, this state of heart and mind that we're trying to get into, which the Lord is trying to bring us into. We can't get there without becoming like a little child. So what is it like to, what does that mean? Does that mean I just don't clean my room? What does it mean? People in a state of innocence do not take credit for anything good, but ascribe and attribute everything to the Lord. So it means that when good stuff happens, so this is how I render it in my life, when good, or what I try to, again, thorns, right? There are thorns everywhere. I, I hear these concepts and they really burn bright for a little while in me and I feel like, wow, that is so cool. I'm gonna live every day like that. I usually, I'll get my phone and I set a recurring reminder every day, which just has a text from some spiritual concept on it. And I say, yeah, I'm gonna read that every day. It's gonna inspire me. 
And then I just stop looking at the notifications and I get caught up in other things. It's tough. It's tough to stay focused because that's just what life is like. But the way that I, when I am doing it right, when I am staying focused, then probably the most tangible practice that I've gotten out of this innocence of wisdom thing is when something good happens, and this, and when I say happens, I mean happens through any means. It could be that you do something or that I feel like, wow, I just did that. I put together this thing that worked well and it went well. The turnaround after the fact and say that uh, God, God really was the one that pulled that off. Now, I don't look, I, no, 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 don't, don't look at me. That wasn't mine, that was God's. And to work on really believing that, that the inspiration to do that that the, our ability to think and put anything together is a gift from God, that, that God is the one who, through his providence and governance of everything, made the good result come about, about. To be able to look at it and say, well, that was you. That was all you. What that does is it builds up your affection for God. It makes you start to admire God more because you love the thing that happened and to understand, wow, that, that's yours? That's so cool. Just like you think about if there's some artist or video game designer that you really admire, you think, wow, that, that person is so cool because of what they made. You start to build that up for God. But also, it, it's really nice for the other people around you. I know that there's nothing more comforting than somebody who does something awesome and then says like, that's, that's God's, that's God's. Okay, so that's, they want to be led by him and not by themselves. And how could you ever get to that state without having to go through life? Where you say, okay, look, I tried it. I tried this whole, I'm gonna go and do this things my way and then you get stuck in the washing machine of life for one too many cycles and and you start to and i'm already i'm I'm only 36 but i'm starting to already feel like nope okay i don't want to do this you do it god like what do you i have had my shot and what 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 did you say you can do you can lead my life okay yeah let's do that instead they want to be led by him and not by themselves okay let's flip to the next one this is, this is about what you feel in your heart more. They love everything that is good and delight in everything that is true because they know and perceive that loving what is good, that is int- intending, in- there's so much in each of these sentences. We'll, come, we'll unpack it a little bit. We got time. <laughs> that is intending and doing good is loving the Lord and loving what is true is loving their neighbor. They love everything that is good and delight in everything that is true. This is the counterpart to kids love everything. Kids love everything. You can, the toys that you give them, they, these toys can be kind of flimsy and not that impressive to an adult. To the child, they are alive and they are never to be thrown away because of how great they are. A, an acorn cap some moss. These things are absolutely wondrous to kids. They love it. The counterpart is here. We can get to a point where we love, I don't, it's not that it's, sure, 
you could, if you're looking at an acorn cap, you can marvel at this incredible biological machine or this satisfying color and texture, but I don't think it's really about getting back to being so distracted or absorbed by simple things. I think it is us feeling the same way about essential spiritual things. They, they love everything that is good and delight in everything that is true. So that the same kind of wonder and awe we feel for when, when there is something good, when people are living in a good way, when there are good desires in our hearts, that we love that in the same way. And delight in what is true, when we understand what, who God is and how God operates and what we are to do, that we love that. To us, that feels the same way as finding a salamander under a board. Intending, uh, loving what is good, intending and doing good is loving the Lord. And loving what is true is loving their neighbor. So there's, there's a reason. It's a, it's a rational innocence. It's not just that childlike innocence is this, wow, overwhelmed innocence, which is great. But what we're heading for is a rational innocence. Where why do we love that? Why are we so smitten by what's good and true, it's because loving good and, and loving by intending and doing good things, that is loving the Lord. And what a, what a, great, what a great person the Lord is if that's how you love the Lord, is to intend and do what is good. Of course I would get behind that. Of course that is cool. And then intending... Um, Loving what is true is loving the neighbor because the more that we have pursuing the truth and have fealty and loyalty to the truth, the more we are trying to help our fellow human beings. Okay, let's go a little farther in. So we have a couple of tools, give credit to the Lord, love what's good and true. Now let's talk about our relationship to our own life. They live content with what they have, whether it is little or much, because they know that they receive as much as is useful. Little if little is good for them, and much if much is good for them. They do not know what is best for themselves. Only the Lord knows. And in his sight, everything he supplies is eternal. There's another place in New Church theology where it says, it's expressing a similar sentiment to this, and it says that people in the stream of providence, who's the same thing as having this innocence of wisdom, if they are raised up to riches, they don't think that they're better than other people, and if they are downcast and are struggling with riches, they don't think that they are worse than other people. And I love that. And it doesn't, this is not just like a fatalistic, okay, well, I can't try to change my situation or provide a good life for my family. It's about what you believe. It's not necessarily about what you're trying to do. It's about what you believe. It doesn't, you don't believe that people are worth more or less based on their situation. And you know that ultimately what's trying to happen is God is trying to look at what's eternal. And that is something that you can grow in your heart. That, okay. This is gonna work out eternally. And God exists and cares about all of us the same. To have that in your heart, even as you're then trying to go and make a good life for you and your family, can absolutely change the way that it feels. 
They do know, they do not know what is best for themselves. Only the Lord knows. And in this sight, everything he supplies is eternal. If you really believe that last part, only the Lord knows what's really best for us. And he's thinking about who we're going to be, what's going to last with us. There's a peace in that. Innocence and peace go hand in hand. All right, let's go to the next one. I think this is the last one. Yes. Okay, so we'll wrap up our description here. So they have no anxiety about the future. So from these three preconditions, the net effect is they have no anxiety about the future, but refer to anxiety about the future as care for the morrow, which they say is pain at losing or not getting things that are not needed for their life's useful activities. So it's not that you don't think about the future. It's not that you don't plan for the future. It's not that you don't work to try to do what you believe is good and true. Because it said earlier that part of being innocent, the innocence of wisdom, is loving what's good and true and doing it. And the, the, to procure for yourself the means to live a, a life that is functional, everything, that's good. So you're trying to go do that. But they don't have anxiety about the future because of these, these beliefs that, they, that, we, that they've taken into their heart. Because only God knows what we actually need. So we know we will get what we need. So the net result is having no anxiety about the future. This is why. How, does that, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? That is the state that God wants to give us. Let's pull up the, the end slide. That is the state that God wants to give us, this, that kind of happiness. And this is why Jesus is saying, look, you've got to become like a little child because this is the life that I want to give you. I want to give you a life where you're not worried about the future, where wherever your life takes you, you can rest, you can be held by this understanding that I've, I'm right here and I've got you and I am working it out so that in the end, this is gonna be the best for you. I'm gonna get it so that you love what's good and delight in what's true. And that since those things, the opportunities for those are all around, you're gonna have delight all the time. This is the world that God is trying to give us. Because as we said, doing what's good is loving the Lord because that desire to put us in that kind of peace and that kind of joy and tranquility that we were just learning about there, that is who God is. And to understand that, that that is who, that, the desire to bring us that kind of happiness is the beating heart of reality. And that it's there. And what we've got to just do is be willing to approach it in a, childlike way and not a child who doesn't have an option but there's this I'm thinking about the process by which diamonds are made this intense pressure under the earth for huge amounts of time end up creating this beautiful thing and that through our lives and all of the challenges and all of the adulting that we have to do it can produce this diamond of the innocence of wisdom, which has in it a power that the innocence of childhood doesn't have. 
and new, deeper joy. That, that we, so it's taking, sure, it's coming back the same shape, but we are moving forward into this new state of life, which you could call the good life, and which Jesus calls the kingdom of heaven. So that is what it is to be a wise child. So it's hopefully something in there in our talk today has been a seed for you. And so as we take this moment to reflect and pray, maybe it's, it's up to you what you want to do during it, but maybe we're thinking about asking the Lord for how can that grow? How can that grow so that it's there tomorrow and it gets bigger and, and eventually becomes a, you know, something you can look to and, and see from a mile away? So here's a moment to reflect with the Lord and, and let, that, let the Lord's um, gift of innocence about the process come into us. Okay. Well, that was fun. Thank you for thinking this through with me. And I hope, you know, you have a lot of childlike wonder and joy as you continue to move through your life. And I hope that we can all learn to more and more deeply understand what Jesus is talking about when he says that we have to, we get, not to have to, but we get to become like a little child in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to close now with uh, one last song, a little time more for those seeds to, to sprout and, and start to germinate.